Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome to another edition of MedSider Radio, brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. If you're new to the program, MedSider Radio is where we learn from med tech and other healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Just a few quick messages before we get started. First, I send out a free email newsletter about once per month highlighting my favorite med tech and or healthcare related stories, the ones that I personally get a lot of value from. I don't send the newsletter out very often, but when I do, I really try to make sure it's valuable. So if you're interested, head on over to medsider.com and enter your email address. As a bonus, I'll send you a free ebook on the strategies I personally use to make connections at conferences. I think you'll find the ebook pretty useful. And while you're online, head on over to iTunes and rate our show. A five-star rating would really help us out. Second, for those of you that subscribe to the email newsletter, you're probably aware of this, but I recently joined the MedTech practice of WCG, a fully integrated marketing agency. So if you're looking for some marketing help, there's a few reasons you should consider our firm. First, we're entirely focused on MedTech. Second, our wheelhouse is analytics, which drives all of our recommendations. And third, we're fully integrated, which means you don't have to source capabilities from another shop. So if you have a project in mind that you'd like to discuss, hit me up at scott at medsider.com. Again, that's scott at medsider.com. And lastly, speaking of marketing, to generate more awareness for some of these interviews, I've recently started using a pretty unique system called Panoptic Stacking from the team over at ReachFire Digital. I know, Panoptic Stacking, it sounds sophisticated, right? Well, to be honest, it sort of is, but let me try and explain. First, they validated some of my messaging in real time and developed an automated customer pathway based on my audience here at Medsider. Then utilizing something called echo marketing, they're using behavioral targeting to move that same audience through a customized online journey. After executing my personalized panoptic stack, I'm already seeing a really nice impact and I'll share some of those results in future episodes. So if you're interested in learning more about the system, the team over at ReachFire Digital has agreed to build a custom panoptic stacking blueprint for the first 15 MedSider listeners that respond to this message. They normally charge 2,500 bucks to build one blueprint, but because they're big fans of MedSider, they're giving it to our first 15 listeners for free. So go to reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedSider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash MedSider. Grab that blueprint. Okay, on to the episode. Hey everyone, on today's program, we've got Sean Bagai, who is the CEO of Renovo RX. He has over 16 years of med tech experience across multiple functional areas like clinical research, sales, marketing, and market development. He was instrumental in developing the European market for renal denervation, which led to the ultimate acquisition of the first renal denervation company, Ardian, by Medtronic in 2011. Most recently, Sean led global market development for HeartFlow, which included directing Japanese market research, regulatory payer collaboration, and key opinion leader development to create value resulting in a company investment to form what is now HeartFlow Japan. Here are some of the things we're going to cover in this interview. Sean's reaction to Medtronic's acquisition of Ardian back in 2011, the power of mentorship and networking and their impact on Sean's career, how Sean landed in med tech with transvascular before it was purchased by Medtronic in the early 2000s, how Sean's experience in a field-based sales capacity has helped him throughout his medtech career, Sean's transition from Medtronic to Ardian, and the biggest challenges he faced while developing the market for renal denervation, Sean's cross-functional experiences while helping to build HeartFlow Japan, what Sean and his team are building at Renovo RX and what lies ahead for the company, and lastly, Sean's favorite business book, the CEO that inspires him, and what he would tell his 25-year-old self. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Sean Bagai. Sean, welcome to the program. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the opportunity. 
Before we talk about Renovo RX, the company that you're currently CEO of, let's start with Ardian and take us back to the time when Medtronic acquired Ardian in November of 2010. What were you doing for them at the time? So in November 2010, I maybe rewind the clock a little bit more. I was pulled into Ardian to kind of help wrap up their existing clinical study that had very positive results, given my both my clinical research and my sales background, and then transition them more into market development and sales. So back in at that time frame, we had launched in Europe, kind of a pilot launch, and, and my role was mostly European market development, Germany being the biggest market. I really spent most of my time in Germany. In fact, I was, I was flying there almost every week to get the product off the ground. So my job or my role was training physicians and became one of the lead trainers at Ardian, market development work and sales work. Got it. I wanted to start there because I think most of my audience will be familiar with Ardian considering the, the size of the acquisition by Medtronic. And on that note, it was a, a very sizable acquisition considering the size of Ardian at the time. I know Reno Denervation was a very very sexy sort of therapy. I say was sort of in the past tense because, you know, I don't know how many companies are, you know, are, are still developing products for Reno Denervation. But on that note, did the large acquisition surprise you just as much as it did a lot of people kind of from, from an outsider's perspective? You know, to be honest, it didn't surprise me all that much. Given the market potential there, we've all living through my days at Medtronic or many years at Medtronic in the stent wars, so to speak. We were basically creating a market in hypertension that's four times the stent size as far as market size goes. And it, it was really creating a, a brand new market for something that, that hadn't really been paid attention to. A lot of the drugs that you know of for, for hypertension or treating downstream effects of the core issue, and Ardian really found a way to, to I wouldn't say cure, but to potentially treat the core of the disease and, and the, the market potential was huge. I think the potential definitely was there. As you probably know, I think there were about 70 companies that had started to embark down a road of development in that same space soon after the acquisition. And to date, there are still, I think a lot of companies were wiped out, a lot of the funds dried up, but including Medtronic, there are a lot of companies that are trying to revamp the technology, take the learnings, both from the, the positives and the mistakes that were made previously on study design and even technology to some small degree and make that successful. So I don't think it was very surprising. I think the results of the next clinical study were the most shocking to most, especially for people on the inside. We all worked very closely with the physicians firsthand, and we've seen patients that really were able to reduce a lot of the medications and increase quality of life and potentially a life extension as well from the treatment. So I think the technology definitely does work. I think the studies need to be designed better, and that's what I believe Medtronic has restarted the next study with the next generation of devices as well. So right. surprising acquisition, not so much. Surprising results from the next clinical study, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. I know Medtronic is still enrolling patients, I think, in their, I think it's HTN3, their U.S. trial right now. And I, I believe Boston Scientific's still in the game. I think St. Jude might be as well. I, I don't I don't recall the, the list of companies that off the top of my head, but you're right. I mean, you, you mentioned coronary or stent wars, I should say. I mean, it seemed like there was like renal denervation wars, you know, at the time of, you know, at the time or shortly thereafter, you know, Medtronic acquired Ardian. Before, I want to definitely get into what you're doing now, as well as kind of your career in med tech, because I think there's going to be a lot of interesting antidotes for a lot of people to learn from. But before we go there, your general thoughts on renal denervation considering, you know, the initial the initial results of the trial back in, I think, 2000, was that 2012-ish, something like that, maybe? Early 2013. And then it seemed like, it, you know, based on those results, a lot of people exited the game. Are you still, you know, you, even though you're not necessarily involved in that space anymore, are you still, you know, hopeful that, you know, renal denervation will become a therapy that most, that patients will have access to at some point in the future? Absolutely. I'm actually very bullish in the technology. It's something that I was able to, and that's one thing I love about being in this type of career is I get to dive in the science very deeply. Denervating the sympathetic nervous system definitely made sense. If you looked at the early studies that, that Ardian did, 
We actually denervated one kidney at a time, and we showed a reduction of hormones that, that were then caused by the cascade of the sympathetic nervous system. So we, we did definitely prove concept. The science was working. It definitely made sense. I think the aftermath is really clinical study design. Patient selection could become a primary player in this. And for, as far as treatment goes, I'm not sure if ablating each renal artery with RF energy X number of times is the most optimal. I think whether it's RF ablation or cryoablation or some other way of attacking the sympathetic nervous system that's hyperactive or overactive, uh, given the lifestyle choices and, and kind of the, the diet that people take, makes sense. So I'm not sure what the end result will look like, but I think some level of denervation for hypertension is going to be a, a major treatment option sometime in the future. Without having a crystal ball, I'm not sure if it's a few years away or many more than that. And it seems like, and I still, you know, converse with, as you do probably as well, you know, people that, that are still, you know, active in that, in that space or, or loosely affiliated with the denervation de space. And it seems like they all kind of think along the same lines, you know, those that you included as well as others that were closely involved with the, you know, with the early trials are still very bullish and very positive on, on what that may eventually look like. So cool. I just wanted to kind of get your, your brief take on that. So before we go, you know, kind of rewind the clock all the way back to your, your early days at transvascular and let's level set the audience. I provided, you know, your bio, of course, in the, in the intro, but tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at Renova RX, the product that you will eventually commercialize and in, in the general sort of therapy or disease state that you're after. Of course. So Renova RX has developed a delivery system, if you will. It's a dual balloon catheter that provides a lot of flexibility and adjustability on delivering therapeutic through the peripheral vasculature. The advantage here is we're able to stop blood flow to a segmented part of the artery and deliver at high volume, uh, high doses of therapies. Initially, the, the catheter has been used in gonadal vein sclerosis, it's been used for liver treatments. We're doing a couple of studies right now in the pancreatic cancer space, given the large unmet need for pancreatic cancer. One of the biggest issues with pancreatic cancer treatments to date is that the drugs simply do not get in the tumors. The tumors, unlike other solid tumors using liver as comparison, are relatively avascular or hypovascular, meaning that there aren't a lot of feeders feeding the tumor. So there's not an easy target to deliver localized therapy to. It also poses a problem when you give systemic chemotherapy. The systemic chemotherapy favors going everywhere except for the pancreatic tumor because of the lack of blood supply. So this catheter, the Renovo cath, is able to isolate segments of the artery that feed the tumors, and we're able to give high doses of chemotherapy. And we've been studying this now in a post-market registry study to date. So really the, the first focal point from a clinical research standpoint is pancreatic cancer, where there's a large unmet clinical need. Thanks for the, the overview there. I appreciate it. And you did receive a CE mark back in late 2015, correct? Correct. In fact, we're CE mark and subsequent uh, FDA clearance. So we're cleared back in 2000, uh, late 2014 okay. for the broad indication of delivering therapeutics to peripheral vasculature. If you look at the space of kind of localized targeted delivery, most catheters in the space, including interventional oncology, have a broad indication. It's very difficult to get a drug device combo cleared, as you can imagine or, sure. or know of. So in this space, it's very common to have kind of a broader indication, let physicians decide which vessels would make most sense to treat and, and what therapeutics to deliver. Got it. Very good. All right, cool. So I definitely want to dive more into your experiences at Renova RX and, and kind of what the lessons that you've been able to take throughout your career and, and how you're applying them to, to what you're doing now. But let's take the next few minutes and kind of dive a little bit deeper into your, your background and your career. So you started as a clinical research manager at Transvascular. I don't have the date in front of me, but this was, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first foray into the world of med tech. So tell us a little bit about that experience and what got you into the medical device space. You no, know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes careers happen by luck. I, I'm 
met Transvascular, even to rewind the clock a little bit further, I met Transvascular back in 97 when I was doing a summer internship at the Stanford Animal Lab. And the clinical research manager at the time said, hey, if you ever need a summer job or maybe even a winter break job, we'd love to, we've got research associates. If you want to come join us, that'd be great. When I was applying to med school, I had a year off basically between what would have been university and med school. And I called up and said, how about a, a job for a year as opposed to a summer? And they had just someone similar as a research associate departing from med school who was helping with preclinical research and, and different clinical research aspects. And after a few short interviews, I was able to secure that. So I spent a year at transvascular more as a research assistant or research associate, or at least that was the plan, and then go off to med school. I was very lucky to then gain Josh Macker as you, Dr. Josh Macker, as you probably well know, as a mentor. Mm-hmm. who over the course of months steered me to maybe consider different options of, than going to med school. So I started off taking pictures of pig hearts and, and packing catheters for animal studies and was quickly able to get in a position of doing more physician training, more animal work, and then eventually taking over the clinical research activities at Transvascular. Once, and this is the kind of the funny story is Josh came up to me and closed the door and I kept questioning Josh with, or peppering Josh with questions on why he didn't practice medicine as an MD, given that I was med school bound. And he finally said, look, I, I think you'd be great in the industry given what you've done in transvascular so far. Why don't you tell your boss you're not going to med school? And then when you get into med school, make it a more difficult choice because by then your career should have taken off and you'll probably do something more than just taking pictures of pig hearts. <laughs> From there, I, I did just that and said, look, med school may be an option, but I want to see where my career can take me in the meantime. And by the time I, I got into Temple Med School in Philadelphia, by the time I, I came off the waiting list and got my acceptance, I was already managing clinical research, taking over kind of the three clinical projects we had at Transvascular, primarily in Europe. And by then, I could definitely see a pathway forward in the industry. One of the things that resonated with me most, and this is why, why Josh has been such a great mentor to me, is that one is that I love diving into technology and then shifting. And I think my career has shown that where I've been able to, to dive in the science of different technologies. I'm not sure if you call it ADD or just <laughs> having fun with different areas of medicine. Mm-hmm. The other thing you recognize, and this is something that he was very passionate about, is that as an entrepreneur, he's been able to affect many more patients through different companies that he started and helped build. And that really instilled a lot upon me when I decided not to go to med school is that I can affect many more patients by helping build companies and helping do things. And this will kind of play into the Ardian story and why I went to Ardian as, as we talk about that later. But that's really how I got my start in med tech and fell in love with both the device side, the medical technology, the science behind medicine, and then kind of layering the business pieces as my career grew from there. Got it. And, and before we, I think that was the, the early 2000s, if my research here is, is correct. And then, you know, you transitioned on to Medtronic in a, in, a, in a very commercial capacity. But before we go there, what do you, what do you think, you know, Josh or Dr. McAuro saw in your early days that sort of caused him to say, encourage you to, to pursue more of an industry track, you know, than uh, versus the, the medicine route? You know, it's, it's funny you ask because th- there was one thing that always resonated with me. And it was that whenever I was given something to do, and this is what I recommend any kind of young person getting started in any career for that matter, is I devoured whatever that project was. I tried to do it the best I possibly could, no matter how small the task, and learn the most I could during that time period and take on as much as possible. I think being naive and hungry, I think it was month three in the company, I asked Josh if I could attend one of the board meetings to learn. Being a CEO now, I know that's definitely not something that a research assistant does is pop into a board meeting. <laughs> in fact, the, uh, my older colleague made fun of me for the question. But in retrospect, I think that was just my personality. I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. I think the other piece that he saw that he mentioned to me is I like driving things to completion. And uh, I think that's something that that he saw on, on, on trying to get things done and projects done. There are so many different things and tasks need to be done in the industry at any position. 
that having the ability and the skill set and the desire to drive things to completion would probably suit me well if I stayed in, in that course, if that makes sense. I know it, it, it does a lot and it makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it's like two, two characteristics, I guess, that, that maybe are, are easy to understand, yet a lot more rare, I guess, to experience firsthand, you know, someone that's really ambitious, but at the same time, you know, wants to execute and wants to see something, you know, go from start to finish. So very cool. No, that, that's a good story. I, I, Dr. Mackauer's name keeps coming up, I think, in these conversations. I, I recently interviewed Ted Lamson, who you, you're probably familiar with at Neotrack. You know, he, obviously, he's, uh, he's colleagues with, uh, with Dr. Mackauer. They, they go back to their Clarent days and even before that at uh, ExploreMed. So let's... Uh, fact, um, and you, you did oh, go a ahead. small fact, you probably know this as well. So Ted was the, I think he was the R&D manager or director at, at Transvascular. Oh, no kidding. So he... <laughs> yeah, so I worked very closely with Ted. In fact, we we had some great trips to Europe together doing first and men. In fact, I don't know if you get a chance to talk to Ted. You know, he's I've I've got about four or five mentors, and Ted was the one who was not my direct boss, but he really helped guide and shape my early career by being kind of the the mentor and the voice. In fact, he is a doctor by PhD, to Dr. Mm-hmm. Lamson, but he knew more about what we were doing than any clinician we ever met. So he was the one who taught me how to train physicians, and I think he really helped shape my early part of my career as well. Yeah, that's that, that's good to know. Now that that interview, if if you want to, for those listening that want to go back and listen to it, it's fairly recent, maybe published a month or two ago with Ted Lamson, who's the uh, the founder of of Neotract, and it's a great. I mean, obviously he's he's very bright, very articulate, tells their their story really well. But I think what, what one of the big takeaways I had from our conversation was just, I mean, he's so, he's so down to earth, you know, and, and willing to share what he's learned along the way. So I, I just was was very appreciative of that, of that conversation. So definitely a good one if you want to go back and listen to it. That's good to know. What a, what a small world. I mean, sounds cliche, but uh, how, how true. <laughs> so in let's, industry. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding, right? I mean, every, I think everyone that, that's been in it a while, you know, agrees that med tech is, is, is a small world, but it's like, you know, it's these types of discussions where it's like, wow, it really is, it really is small. So, well, especially if you live in, in, in Northern California where you're at. <laughs> but yep. let's let's transition on to, to your move over to, to Medtronic coming coming out of uh, transvascular. You spent about six years in, in, in a field-based capacity, both, you know, as, as, as a clinical, you know, marketing rep, as well as a kind of a pure play sales rep as well. Seems like, you know, quite a bit different than what you were doing at Transvascular. So talk to us a little bit about that. And I, where, what I really want to hone in on is, is your experience in the trenches with physicians and how that's translated into some of your other moves at, you know, at RDN Hardware and, you know, now Renovo RX. It's a valid question because, and again, I can't, I can't emphasize enough how important mentors are in, in building one's career. And I'll take you back to two you know, exact things that pushed me towards Medtronic, or three, for that, or three people, if you will. One is, is as I decided not to become a physician, my goal, at the, I think, at the age of 24, 25 at that point, was to someday be able to help build medical device companies, just as Dr. Macauer was doing with Transvascular uh, at the time he was CEO and founder. And he said, look, Sean, if you want to do this at some point, knowing inherently how products are sold and and exactly like you said, being in the trenches, getting the sales experience is paramount to success as as an executive down the road. Both coming from Dr. Josh Makar and also Dr. Reno Vermani, who is a relative of mine, who is very famous in in the cardiac world. She said exactly the same thing. If you're not going to med school, go do sales. And being acquired by Medtronic with such a stellar sales channel having the opportunity to get my foot in the door for, and in fact, I would try to guide younger people on how to get job, a job at Medtronic and sales. And it is very difficult to get that level of sales position. That would be an invaluable experience. So I, I did just that. And the, the goal there, I think Alan Milanazzo, you're probably familiar with as well. I think he was head of sales around that time. And he basically said, look, come on, 
board, if you can be a marketing manager and train all of their sales reps and sales trainers and physicians on the technology acquired by Transvascular, given that I was one of the physician trainers, then that might be a good transition after a year or so into a sales position. It sounded like a perfect fit and opportunity given where my mentors were guiding me. You know, coincidentally, it took about two years, I think, before I, a sales territory opened up where I had a manager take a chance on on someone with no sales experience in that position. After a year of training sales reps, I actually went back to Ted Lampson, who was, remained a mentor of mine, and, and said, look, I, I've been training sales reps. Does that count? Can I go get my next job yet? Do I have to actually <laughs> do sales? <laughs> and, you know, and, and as a good mentor, Woody said, absolutely not. You know, carrying a number is, is very different than carrying a bag in, in the sense that you really learn what sales reps have to do, what the mindset is, how you really incentivize the correct behaviors. And I think getting the sales experience, besides learning how to work with physicians, learning how to train physicians was I done, but, but really carrying a number helps one get that perspective of, of how to build and, and run companies, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's such great advice. And as you can probably imagine, I listen to a, a fair number of, of other podcasts too, especially in the early stage kind of like tech space, if, if you want to call it that. And I, I can always tell when a founding, you know, a, a founder or a CEO of, a, of an early stage company has has had sales experience because their interviews are always that much better they they just like it's just it's they intuitively get like what actually works you know and what what is really going to resonate with their ideal audience it, and it, it seems like that's always the case and it's it, it's interesting that you say that cuz I, I myself went you know spent my early career in a, in a in a largely in a, in a sales based you know field field based sales capacity in medtech and when i first came into marketing i was really just surprised at how how little folks that had spent their entire careers internally inside a in, inside a large company, how little they sort of grasp what what it what really you know what really works, <laughs> you know what what kind of mes- messages resonate with you know with whether it's physician audience or you know another healthcare provider. So I mean I can completely relate to what you're talking about, and, and really to be to be fair, you know vice versa, you know a, a sales rep that thinks they can run run a company without spending time you know internally you know dealing with sometimes you know the the bureaucracy and layers and whatnot probably doesn't have a true appreciation for kind of the, the full circle of, of a med tech company. But I, I saw that on your, in, in, you know, kind of looking at your background and I, I, I wanted to definitely talk about your sales experience and what that, how, how that's translated to some of these, some of these other experiences in your career. You know, that's, that's actually, you bring up a very good point because it's not, it, it goes both ways. And I think having that marketing kind of stint at Medtronic for the first couple of years gave me more appreciation for what went on in-house. Mm-hmm. And, and as I trained sales reps around the country, when I became more of a sales trainer in certain product clients in Medtronic, I definitely felt the frustrations of the sales reps with the quote-unquote in-house people. <laughs> Marketing manager never get it, whereas sales reps, of course, are omniscient, is the way the sales reps usually think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually great to be able to translate that, you know, knowing the, the regulatory hurdles that had to be overcome, knowing the, you know, the internal politics that had to be overcome to make things happen, you know, having that perspective on both sides of that line was definitely helpful. So I think you, you definitely appreciate the breadth of experience necessary to certain things. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, for the sake of time, let's move on to your previous two experiences before Renovo RX. The first one being at Artie, and I know we already touched on this, but I am curious, how did you end up transitioning from you know, uh, your role as a coronary sales rep to, uh, to your time at, at Artie? So I can't mention enough about how mentors play a role in my, my career. At the time, Andrew Cleland was a, a good friend of mine. I, I think we probably started drinking beers together through through very close friends in my early 20s. And, and over the years, he was, was kind of a more of a life mentor to me on which direction I should be taking my career, uh, whether or not I should break up with my girlfriend, <laughs> things like that. 
And so I think over multiple conversations with Andrew about what I'm doing with my, my life in general, he started to see uh, a fit as already in transition from, or was planning on a transition from a clinical company to a commercial company, given my clinical research background and my sales background. And he introduced me to, to Greg Bacon, who was head of sales and marketing at the time. And this was very premature for a, a, a med company or a tech company to hire a salesperson. And, and it was basically a bunch of, of fun, either happy hours, breakfasts and lunches with Greg Bacon on, on him asking me, and this is someone who had extensive market development and marketing experience, but zero sales experience on how I would approach the market with the Ardian technology. And until after a few months of this kind of free advice and, and getting to know Greg, it made sense for me to come on board and to kind of take over and help with market development with working with Greg and Mike Welch, who was the director of market development at the time. So it was almost an ongoing dialogue that, that made an easy fit. I don't think I actually had a formal interview through that entire process. It was, it was more <laughs> of a no-brainer by that point. That's kind of the getting into Ardian part. I guess, you know, as far as the, the exiting Medtronic piece, it was an interesting time because my, my goal was to go into sales, learn it, and get out. I spent about five years in sales, and I really hadn't seen a technology that was going to change medicine as much as Ardian. So I think it was a perfect fit for me and perfect timing where I was looking for something to then do more than just sales, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the the opportunity in Ardian was a perfect culmination of my previous experiences. From an intellectual stimulation standpoint, I got to work with animal studies. I was there with the early technology. I got to train physicians. I was helping with clinical research and then helping with market development and sales. So it was basically everything I'd done before with that piece of me that didn't go to med school that thought someday I want to change medicine. And given that we're opening a new market for hypertension, this was my first chance at more of a kind of a management level to have an effect on healthcare. Got it. And and at first blush, it it looked like the move from from your role at at Medtronic as a coronary sales rep to to what you were doing at Ardian seemed like a a pretty big stretch. But I guess, you know, hearing you describe your background at not only transvascular, but especially, you know, early your early days with, you know, transitioning under the Medtronic umbrella, it seems like that that did make a lot of sense. And it's interesting hearing you describe how how sort of you you made that move into Ardian. I mean, geez, talk about uh, the the power of of mentorship and, and networking. You know, I think most people would have loved to, to to be in that in that role at that time. But on that note, it certainly probably wasn't all all you know all all roses. So, was there? A, do you do you recall one of the more challenging aspects of your time at Ardian and and sort of what you learned from that experience? I think one of the most challenging, and I you know I, I look up to mentors and and people who have taught me a lot. I think the most challenging piece was we're trying to figure out how to commercialize the technologies. We're going from a clinical company to a commercial company. We were going back and forth on pricing. There was a piece of capital equipment. There were disposable catheters. We were deciding what the, the sales footprint should look like. We were, we were a few kind of market development managers, which were a blend of clinical and or salespeople, uh, mostly in Europe. And, and I think the most challenging period is when we're, we weren't hitting the enrollment numbers or, or, I guess, sales numbers right off the bat. And it was a matter of, and this helped teach me a little more strategy as well, as a matter of we don't have enough resources for this. and and Greg Bacon kind of barked at us, well, you know, if that's the issue, let's get more resources. I, I, I never want to hear that excuse ever again. Let's, let's strategize on how we're going to attack this market. And if it's more resources, we'll put more resources there. But I never want to hear that excuse if we say we don't need it. Hmm. So I think that was, you know, a big learning experience for me is that people can always make excuses why things don't happen. But it, it, it's really important to step back and, and put plans in place to actually gain success. Coming off of that, we re-strategize how to enter the market which physicians we should be talking to, 
what the barriers were and, and we overcame them and uh, you know we really blew it out from a sales perspective with that early market adoption in Europe after that. Yeah, that's a great sort of best practice in that there's some challenges that if you're knee deep, think they're sort of un, you know, they're, they're going to be extremely difficult to cross, but, you know, you know, taking a step back and sort of looking at things from a, from a fresh lens, you know, you get the, you get the sense that, you know, there's always some sort of solution for that, you know, for that underlying challenge. Or I should say there's an underlying solution to that challenge that, that that's sort of waiting to be found if you're, you know, if you're, if you can kind of take a fresh look at things. So it's a good story there. So let's move on to HeartFlow. I want to ask you a few questions about your experience at HeartFlow before we get to Renovo RX here. But at HeartFlow, you, you built a foundation for you know, for what what now is HeartFlow Japan, you know, and HeartFlow, another company that was acquired by by Medtronic. You've got sort of a trend trend going on here. All the companies you're at are are eventually acquired by Medtronic. So, so talk to us a little bit about what you built for you know what eventually became HeartFlow Japan, especially in regards to sort of the cross functional experience that you had. You know, dealing with you know r- regulatory and payer collaboration, KOL development, clinical research, et cetera. So HeartFlow is interesting because this is something I've I've been in the med device space my whole career, and this was a a diagnostic, even a software as a service diagnostic for assessing cardiac disease. And I was was brought in to help commercialize, uh, primarily in Europe was the initial plan. Soon after, I I think I was the first kind of sales person after the the VP of sales there was hired. They failed the primary endpoint of the study, uh, which was comparing the HeartFlow technology to an invasive uh, diagnostic approach. And the, the VP of sales subsequently left the company, and I was working directly with the CEO for, for quite a while. So given that the primary endpoint failed, the commercialization efforts pretty much went down the tubes as well, as you can imagine. So it's, I actually helped run the next study that put HeartFlow back on the map. So my role at HeartFlow actually almost reverted to a clinical research position where I ran a clinical study like a salesperson would on, on how do you increase enrollment, how do you increase quality of enrollment. I was training physicians as well. The fun part for me was that I was able to utilize, and this is you know just moving the company strategically. I was able to utilize different people from different divisions in the company to, and that's why I say cross-functionally, to help run each site. So we had a marketing person, for example, cover a couple sites in in London. We had more of kind of a research-driven person cover sites in Australia, let's say, with different backgrounds. So it was it was a good experience on trying to find skill sets within people that isn't their core skill set, if that makes sense. So it's in a startup environment, it's good to kind of, many people have to do different things. So it was a good way to kind of find skill sets and, and match those up. So during the, that year or two at HeartFlow, it was a matter of running the study. And, and at the same time, we're looking into to Japan. And, and the reason why Japan was of interest is because they, the value propositions make a lot more sense for what HeartFlow is doing. A, they utilize CT technology to assess heart disease, which is what, what HeartFlow is based on. And two is the physicians are salaried, so there's not an incentive to do more diagnostic testing and put more stents in. So the first few trips were, were assessing the market there. Pretty soon thereafter, we use a couple of their sites as our clinical research sites. So I was able to both drive the clinical research process and see if there's potential business there. So from that point, I was able to, you know, very lucky to pull in a few good resources. And and I think my my biggest mentor there became Campbell Rogers, who who came in to take over as chief medical officer. And, And he had a lot of connections with physicians in Japan from his coronary days and was able to open a lot of doors that I was able to go back in and, and make connections with kind of the top physicians to, to form advisory boards, uh, work with local consultants to get us in front of the their version of the FDA, which is called the PMDA, and, and their version of CMS, if you will, which is called MHLW. 
So it was really kind of having those initial meetings to, to prove out the value propositions in the country, start the initial dialogues, get the process going. That eventually became the basis for what's now HeartFlow Japan. Uh, towards the end of my tenure, they actually hired a general manager based in Japan and now have a whole team that, that are building that market. They just did receive PMDA clearance or approval and re- reimbursement soon to follow. So I think that's as far as a revenue source, that's going to be the biggest revenue stream for HeartFlow in the very near future is, is in Japan. Got it. And I think I misspoke. I said uh, HeartFlow was acquired by Medtronic. I'm not sure why I had that in my notes, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I had this, yeah. I had my notes here, this trend of companies being acquired by Medtronic, and I'm not sure why I thought that. That's that's my fault. So HeartFlow <laughs> was not quite acquired yeah, yeah. by Medtronic. But on that note, you know, let's uh, kind of springboard into into your time now at, at, at Renovo RX. And I think you landed there in 2014, right, at Renovo? Right. Yep. Okay. Before we jump right into the, the current time, is, is are there a couple you know experiences, you know maybe one or two that you can think of at, at HeartFlow that you sort of you find yourself kind of going back to that have you know sort of either either key learning points or just things that you've been able to to use now at Renovo RX. Yeah, I think one of the things that and this actually was resonated both with or came true because of RDN and Renovo RX. Uh, or sorry, with uh, this came true with RDN and HeartFlow is that more and more, I think there are certain medical technologies that cross different specialties of medicine. And I'll kind of rewind a little bit to talk about that with, with Ardian, as much as this was the, the technology was to be used by interventional radiologists and interventional cardiologists, the patients were really controlled by the hypertension specialists and the nephrologists. So the sales aspect of the market entry aspect was kind of twofold, is how do you get the users and the, the physicians who like to use the technology to use it? But more importantly, how do you overcome the barriers of their opposition of, of the, the nephrologists and hypertension specialists that want to hold on to the patients? Uh, HeartFlow is the same thing. It was a matter of we have CT physicians and radiologists who want to maybe send patients for heart flow exams, but the interventional cardiologists control the patients, and they'd rather put the patient on the table and do an intervention you know, and or an invasive diagnostic. Renova is very simple. Uh, with Renova, or very similar. With, with Renova RX, it's a matter of overcoming the barriers of the medical oncologists who deliver chemotherapy systemically, and, and we're looking at a more targeted approach. So I think mm-hmm. the lessons learned from, in fact, both of those companies have really helped a lot with Renovo RX is making sure that you don't ignore specialties when there's a, when there's a disease state or a, a patient base that, that is really cross-functional across specialty. Yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense, really understanding that patient pathway and who controls the, you know, the, the, the patient her, who who influences the patient decision the most along that along that journey? I, I have to think it's just a hunch, but I have to think your experience in a field based sales capacity has really probably helped helped you sort of that, that probably I, I would imagine that probably comes naturally to you now. Is that a safe safe guess? Yeah, I, I think it does, but I think yeah. a lot of it is is really paying attention. You know, getting out in the field and talking to physicians to really mm-hmm. make sure the market's there, and that's something that I think is one of the most gratifying parts of my job is actually being you know, front and center. And that's something being in a small company and being a CEO of a small company, I, I get to do is to get out in the field, work with physicians, be in the operating room and really see exactly like you said, you know, how does the patient pathway work? And I think that de- definitely helps to be successful in different areas of medicine. Okay. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about Renovo RX. I know you, you kind of gave us a, you know, high level overview, but you said CE marked in what was it, in late 2015, but FDA cleared in what was the, it was, was it late 2014? Late 2014. Okay. So, so kind of, you, you mentioned that you're, you're currently enrolling, enrolling patients right now in a, in a U.S. trial. Is that right? 
Correct. We have a, a post-market registry study in, in the U.S. that's ongoing. Prior to that, we actually just finished a safety study in, in pancreatic cancer patients in the U.S. as well. So we're, we're, we're tracking patients right now to see how they do in, mm-hmm. in kind of the general population, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And so when you were at HeartFlow, how did you end up getting to Renovo RX? Was it another story of just your connections and your network sort of brought you here? Exactly. It, it seemed like at that point, the U.S. launch was not imminent given the both the FDA and reimbursement. I think they, in fact, I still have a lot of close friends there. I, I, I think I had a bet with who's going to get FDA clearance first, HeartFlow or Renovo RX, and I think we won <laughs> by a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, okay. you know, so I, there, there were some headwinds in the U.S. HeartFlow Japan was getting off the ground. The founder of, of Renovo RX, Dr. Ramta Naga from El Camino Hospital, was coincidentally a customer of mine when I was at Medtronic many years ago. One of the things I've, I've always tried to do is keep in touch with everybody sure. <laughs> that I can. And and so he approached me a while back about the fact that their CEO has stepped down for family reasons. They're looking for a replacement. And I, to be honest, thought I wasn't ready for a CEO role yet. I, I feel like I still had some more things to learn. And then months later, timing worked out where the, the previous potential CEO candidate dropped out of the race and, and they were interviewing a few candidates and he said, look, come meet the board. I think this is right for you, given your experiences and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And he had me come interview with the board of directors. The rest is history. Got it. That's cool. So where where are you at now in terms of like the life cycle, uh, life cycle of the product? You've got uh, regulatory approvals in Europe and the US. You're enrolling patients in a post-market registry. So do you envision commercializing this at, at some point in the near future? I do potentially. So maybe mm-hmm. to rewind a little bit, as far as how, you know, the timing of when I came on board, we had just applied to the FDA. And this is one of the reasons I think why Dr. Agar thought this would be good for me and why I think for me it was a good fit is that they, they were just applied to the FDA. Design for manufacturing was done for the most part. We, we've begun manufacturing. The next stage of the company or since I took over, we've gotten FDA clearance. We've gotten our, our device patents issued. We've done our first in human, you know, in a few different disease states. We finished our safety study in the pancreas. Really, the next phase for the company is to, to finish off a post-market registry. The data is looking phenomenal where at least pancreatic cancer patients are living longer with less side effects that they would see from systemic chemotherapy. As far as where this is going, that's, that's always the, the double-edged sword for every small device company is do you raise funding and hire a sales force or is this actually a, a great tuck-in for one of the larger companies? Sure. And that's yet to be determined. You know, I, the great thing about the markets we're looking into is that there are very concentrated hospitals that do these types of procedures. So one could attack the market with a small sales force, but I could definitely see this as a fit with a larger company down the road. Got it. it makes a ton of sense, especially as more and more large strategics start to get into the uh, interventional oncology space. I think when you look, it seems like when you look at that, that IO space, there's a lot of large strategics that aren't in it. It seems like that, that maybe that are sort of just on the cusp of maybe getting into it. So it seems like it, may, it makes sense from a, from an M&A standpoint, but I also couldn't agree with you more in regards to, you know, uh, have, you know, rolling out a, t- a very targeted sales force to that, that select number of, uh, you know, to call them that's the select number of, uh, of hospitals and IDNs that do these types of procedures. So, so cool. So I know you've raised a little bit of money and kind of the last question, I guess, before we get to these, these last three rapid fire questions, do you have plans to, to raise additional, additional rounds of financing in the future? I think that's one thing I've learned as a CEO is you're always fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, I think this has been an interesting exercise for me. I've, this is probably the least funded company I've worked with and, and being small and nimble and having very dedicated founders giving a lot of time to the company. We've been extremely capital efficient, but I could foresee, you know, in the next few months, we're trying to put together a strategic plans for the next couple of years. I could see a round potentially coming up. Uh, right now, we're, we're talking to strategics to see what other milestones would be necessary for some type of a partnership. 
and trying to lay those plans out, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking into funding in the not too distant future. Yeah, very good. I think it'd be fun to do a round two of this this conversation, maybe sometime uh, next year to kind of give, it a, give get an update on where you guys are at and what you've learned since then. So anything else you want to share before we get to these last three rapid fire questions, Sean? I think, you know, one of the things that I get asked a lot is, and especially now we were involved, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Stanford Startex program. Yeah, loosely. Yep. So it's it's kind of an incubator. It's 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 been fun, you know, given given how many mentors have kind of shaped my career, it's been fun kind of giving back a little bit and mentoring younger younger entrepreneurs, younger CEOs. I think one of the, you know, if, if I could give a couple pieces of advice, uh, you know, one is always do what you say you're going to do. I, I found it very interesting how as you go through, especially different groups of medical device professions, sales, marketing, such as training that. A lot of people promise things they don't deliver on. I think that's one thing I learned very early in my mentors is definitely deliver what your promises are. And and keeping in touch with people has been invaluable. I think, Scott, given given what you've done with your site, you've you've probably seen that more often than not, that people kind of fall off the radar, but keeping in touch with people and you know, I've I've connected with physicians across different companies and it's amazing. There are a couple of doctors in Germany that I've worked with through different companies and just, you know, an email now and then. I'm not a big Facebook fan, to be honest, but an email <laughs> or phone call here and there definitely goes a long way for to serve you in the future. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's such good advice. You're, you're right. I mean, I've certainly experienced that. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a master at, at that by no means. I certainly could, could do a lot better. But yeah, just a, a simple phone call, text message, you know, a short two sentence email. I mean, it does, it does wonders for sure, but very good stuff. So I, I want to be you know, sensitive to, to your schedule, Sean. So let's get to these last three rapid fire questions. The rapid fire in, in nature, you don't necessarily have to answer, answer the questions uh, in that sort of theme. Let's start with the first one. What's your favorite business book? You know, this is something that's come to me recently, and it's been it's proved invaluable for this job. I don't know if you're sure if you've heard of a book called "The Hard Thing About Hard Things" by mm-hmm. Ben Horowitz. Yeah, it's been almost a bible about how to try to sleep better at night when you're when you're trying to run a company, especially the first time being a CEO. I think the advice in there, and and seeing running and building a company through someone else's eyes when you don't have a lot of people to talk to about it who have vested interest in a different part of your business has been very helpful. Yeah, that's a good one. So, is there a uh, CEO that you're following, or one that uh, has really inspired you in the past? You know, honestly, I think I've, I've mentioned two so far that have really been a big part of of my career growth, and it's you know, Dr. Josh Macar and Andrew Cleland have been two. Mm-hmm through very different stages of my career that have definitely helped me out a lot on what I should be doing and what I should be thinking about. Very good. I had a feeling that you were going to go to uh, go to those two guys. But um, <laughs> last one, if you had a chance to rewind the clock, what would you tell your 25-year-old self? You know, I think my, my career was taking off. And I think the, the biggest thing looking back when I was 25 is maybe tell myself to be more humble, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I think there, you know, certainly success comes with an arrogance that you might, you might ignore miscues that would definitely help your growth. And, you know, if, if I could turn back the clock, that's probably the one piece of advice I give myself. Yeah, a good way to end the, end the conversation, because I think it's healthy advice for, for anyone, for sure. So, Sean, thanks, thanks a ton for, for your willingness to do this conversation. I'll have you hold on the line real quick as we wrap this up. But, but again, just thanks again. Again, for, for taking the time out of your day. And uh, for those listening that want to learn more about Renovo RX, I'll link to that in the show notes, but just Google Renovo RX and you'll probably find it. But again, you can find those links in the, in the show notes to this episode. But Sean, thanks, uh, thanks a ton for doing this. Thank you for your time, Scott. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Until the next episode of MedSider, take care. Thanks again, ladies and gents, for listening. This episode has been brought to you from the WCG studios here in Minneapolis. And don't forget to grab your Panoptic stacking blueprint by visiting reachfiredigital.com forward slash medsider. Again, that's reachfiredigital.com forward slash medsider. Okay, bye for now.